The periodical podcast recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first people of this place known as Australia. We recognise the Yagara and Turbal people as the traditional custodians of the land where we record today and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We also acknowledge that the themes covered in the periodical podcast, including menstrual and maternal health outcomes, disproportionately impact First Nations women. This podcast is brought to you by Hey Owl Productions. Hello and welcome back to the Periodical Pod. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Before we get started, I just wanted to say a massive thank you to those of you who have shared our show on your Instagram and with your friends. We are beyond chuffed that you are finding value in our show so far and we are so excited to bring you more because we've only just scratched the surface. I'm Alex, one of your co-hosts and the producer of this show. I own Hey Our Productions. I'm a writer with a focus on parenting, pop culture and women's health and I'm a mum of three. And I'm Michelle. I'm a TCM practitioner. Now I know that not everyone will know what TCM means so I'm going to break it down really quickly. TCM is the acronym for traditional Chinese medicine which is the umbrella term for all of the different modalities that stem from the Chinese medicine framework. So this includes acupuncture, cupping and herbal medicine as well as some other tools that we have in our tool belt when it comes to Chinese medicine. In Australia we have separate registered titles that pertain to Chinese medicine. And these are registered acupuncturist, registered Chinese herbal medicine practitioner and registered Chinese herbal medicine dispenser. So I hold each of these titles and these are registered with UPRA. I completed a five-year Bachelor of Health Science degree in order to receive this qualification. So while in my clinical practice, I hold a practitioner-patient relationship. In this podcast, I am simply your big sis for periods and the information I share should not be taken as medical advice. And as always, see your GP should you have any concerns regarding the themes that we discuss in today's episode. The Periodical Pod is on a mission to create educational content that empowers women to feel more at home in their bodies. We're talking about the until now taboo topics such as periods, hormones, sex, mental health and more. And in today's episode, it is all about periods. So this pod is all about normalizing period chat. And I will warn you in advance that we will be talking all about blood and the nitty gritty details of periods today. So if you do get squeamish, I invite you to lean into your desire to learn more about periods so that together we can begin to normalize talking about periods and educate ourselves on what symptoms are normal and not normal so that menstruators are not suffering in silence when it comes to their periods. So before we get into today's topic, which I am very excited about, we are going to start the episode with our regular segment by discussing what day we are in our cycle. This is all new to me. So I am trying to take note of what is happening with me as I learn with Michelle. But did you want to go first? Yeah. So I'm cycle day 22 today. I'm about a week out from my period, which means I'm in my luteal phase. And I am noticing that my patience is getting a little thinner. (laughs) (laughs) which can be a typical thing that happens during this time of the cycle. For me personally, I don't really experience any PMS. And so in cycles where I notice that my patience is getting thinner or that I'm getting a little bit more irritable, I use that as feedback as to 
what's potentially going on in my lifestyle that's causing me to feel that way. Yeah. So at the moment I'm burning the candle at both ends, doing a lot at the moment. And so I rely on my menstrual cycle as a feedback tool to kind of be like, oh, okay, hey, you're experiencing this symptom and that's not something that I want to like continue to happen. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's a digression, but I'm cycle day 22. <laughs> so I'm in my luteal phase and I am gearing up to have my period probably within the week. Yeah, cool. So I started my period today. Oh, cool. I think, I don't know, kind of all over the place. We've discussed this. I have the marina. But anyway, I the last two nights was like getting really aggro and sad and I was like, oh, my God, is my medication not working? Like yep. starting to panic a bit. And then I got my period this morning. I was like, well, that's a relief. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it so funny? Like when yeah. the period comes, you're like, oh, it yeah. all makes sense. I know, especially because mine are so all over the shop. It's not like I'm like waiting for it. I don't know it's coming. Yeah. So I'm kind of just like, what is happening to me? Yes, and I think obviously, you know, you're in the marina and your periods are – not super regular because of that. But for people that do have like a regular cycle that don't track their cycle yeah, and then have that experience of like not knowing when their period's coming and things like that, I'm like, your life could be so much easier to track because you would be like, oh, it all makes sense. Like I'm feeling this way because my period's due in two days or whatever it might be. So, but yeah, yeah, that's cool that you're bleeding. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was like, this is such a relief. Like... So today is a bit of a myth-busting episode and we have reached out to our communities to compile some common myths or I guess like misunderstandings around periods for us to debunk. There were honestly so many things that came through. (laughs) So many. I was messaging Michelle last night. I'm like, wait, there's another one. There's another one. (laughs) Yes, I think this will hopefully become like a bit of a recurring episode topic. But today we're going to cover just a handful of things. But honestly, it breaks my heart when I hear stories of women suffering in silence. And I do truly believe that the more we talk about periods and different symptoms that we experience, the better equipped we will be to encourage a friend or family member to seek help from a qualified practitioner. Yes, so true. So our first myth, and I feel like this was probably the most common one to come through in like different variations. So this one is that period pain is normal. Uh, We received this message from a friend of the show, but honestly, it's something I hear all the time and I'm sure you do as well in your clinic. So this one that came through, they've said, my sister got such bad pain during periods, she would throw up and be in the fetal position in the shower. She was getting ultrasounds to see if there was anything wrong, but doctors couldn't find anything and dismissed it as normal period pain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Heartbreaking. Yeah. That really sucks. Yeah. So there's a few things to like break down in that story, but essentially any period pain that impacts your usual daily activities and requires more than say paracetamol or a heat pack isn't normal. That's just crazy. I was talking to one of my best friends last night. Like this just generated so much conversation amongst my friends. And we were talking last night and she has her period and she's like, I'm in so much pain. Like normally uh, like napragesic works for me. And she's like, but it's not. She's like, I need to get something stronger. Stronger. And normally I would be like, yeah, I think you need codeine or something. But now (laughs) I'm like, you need to see Michelle. (laughs) I'm like, because she can help you. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, 
mean, I, I can think of so many stories. My best friend, I think for about eight years, took Endone oh. every single time she had her period yeah. and it would knock her out for about two days. Oh. And she, that's what she needed to do. Yeah. Every single time she had a period, she had a regular 28-day cycle. She essentially took that whole week off work. That's awful. So if you're taking days off work, if you're taking days off school, if you're finding it hard to parent because of your period – that I wouldn't consider that symptom to be a normal one. Yeah. And I'd really encourage you to, to reach out for support. And that can be like so many different avenues that you yeah. can go down for support. Like it doesn't have to be seeing a Chinese medicine practitioner necessarily, but looking into different ways that you can support yourself from like a lifestyle, nutrition, going to your GP, ruling out red flags, like doing all of the things, but yeah. you absolutely don't need to be just suffering through it and grinning and bearing it. Like yeah. women have learned to grin and bear things for decades or centuries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had a friend in school and she used to have to take the whole week off when she got her period because she was in so much pain. And now looking back, I'm like, well, you probably definitely had endo. Yeah. But like at the time, I remember us being like, oh, we would never have to take it to have school. We just put up with the pain. Yeah. You know? And being proud like of a, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is just such a like sad narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So in the case of this person, throwing up and needing to stay in the shower is not right. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't sound like they received the support that they needed. So like I mentioned, there are a few things to unpack here. Um, the first is that not everything can be seen on an ultrasound. Yeah. And you mentioned endo. I think it's really important when it comes to endometriosis to understand the severity of endo doesn't correlate to the severity of pain. Yeah. So in my clinical practice, I've worked with people that had no pain, yeah. like literally no period pain, and they ended up having stage four deep infiltrating endo. Oh. And then some people will have excruciating pain and they might not have any endo or it'll just be superficial peritoneal endometriosis. So there's no direct correlation between like the severity of endo. And I do encourage people to read Dr. Peter Wright's book, which is called Healing Pelvic Pain, because yeah. she goes into detail about how pain works in the body yeah. and how different people will experience pain differently. And she also has a really heavy emphasis on lifestyle in, yeah. in her clinic practice and she shares that in the book. So relying on ultrasound alone isn't a great idea. Yeah. And even if you do go and get an ultrasound, that's not going to necessarily, just because they don't find something on ultrasound doesn't mean that there's just like, okay, well, case closed. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. nothing to see here. Yeah. I would continue to investigate what's going on there because being in the shower, being in the fetal position, like vomiting from pain, like all of these things are just so not what we need to put up with. Yeah. And then I do just want to comment, I know we'll do a whole episode on endometriosis, but on ultrasound, not all ultrasounds are created equally. Yeah. And so if you're just chuffing off down the road to your local, you know, pathology center and they're doing a pelvic ultrasound, you really need a skilled technician in yeah. order to identify something like endometriosis on ultrasound. Yeah. So we can include that in the show notes maybe of where I recommend if you're in Brisbane and if you're in Melbourne, I can put up where to get yeah. ultrasounds that are more specific to women's health. I've had more ultrasounds than I could count on my, because I have suffered from pelvic pain since I was like 16. And every time I go for an ultrasound, I have like, you know, a large cyst that, they're always like, oh, that's what's creating your pain. And often it has, you know, been that kind of that ovary that I was getting the pain from. 
but I've had so many ultrasounds like early investigation for endo. And I know one of the things they do is when they do the internal, they push to see if there's yes. like resistance, yeah. which is so painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always say, oh, I don't think you have endo because this isn't like, yeah. there's no resistance here. And I'd be like, oh, wow. But like, what if it's just not in that part? Have I told you this story? No. About me? No. I went to get in uh, the ultrasound and investigate endometriosis, I have a high pain threshold. Yeah. And I'm also not a super expressive person. Like I'm very, I'm just kind of like a chiller. Like I'm not, if something happens, I'm not like, I'm not a woo girl. I'm not like super outwardly expressive. And the person who was doing my ultrasound like did that where they like push really hard on a certain part of your body. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, like that is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Made me feel a bit nauseous. Yes, yes, yes. And she was like, oh, you don't have endometriosis. You would have, you know, you would have squealed or you would have screamed out in pain. And it it felt so dismissive. Yes, so dismissive. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I think I have um, a pelvic ultrasound pretty much every six months now. Wow. And what you said about the endo correlating to pain is so interesting because when I had my laparoscopy in November, they only found endo on my left ovary. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And it was only a little bit. And I was like, but I'm in so much pain. Like that cannot be the answer. Yeah. And they were kind of like, oh, but let's just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back to this myth or this person who, you know, was getting ultrasounds and doctor said everything was fine. I think it also highlights how we often zoom too far into the specific part of the body that is experiencing pain Yeah. when we should really be zooming out, looking at the whole person and their experience of pain. Yeah. And then when we zoom out, I think it's not just important to see like the whole person in front of us, but also zoom out to see what their environment is like, what their relationships are like, what their workplaces are like, because looking at period pain simply in a silo, in my opinion, isn't the answer. Yeah. Yeah. You have to take like a more holistic approach. Yeah. And understand like what else might be affecting them yeah. outside of the body, yeah. you know, because we know that environment can play a huge role. Yeah. Stress, workplaces. Trauma and, and stuff trauma, like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So kind of just to like summarize and clarify this one, if you are experiencing period pain, that means that you need to call in sick for work or you can't go to school. That's not considered normal. Yeah. Essentially, if your period pain is impacting your daily activities in any way, it's not considered normal. What gets tricky is next steps. And this involves people's value system, their worldview, and there are different paths that can be explored and each path will have different tools available. So for example, the natural next step and the one that I would recommend is to make an appointment with your GP. And I do think that that is an essential path to go down just to rule out any red flags, but always look at the tools that the person that you're going to see has at their disposal. So if you're going to go to the GP, their tools at their disposal will likely be medication. That could be something like Ponstan. You mentioned naprogesic before. It could be the birth control pill or other forms of birth control. And then obviously they can refer to imaging like ultrasounds and potentially surgery, which is what we've been discussing. So that's what their tools are. If you go to a dietitian, they'll have their own set of tools, namely food. Yeah. Diet. <laughs> if you see a naturopath, they'll have their supplements. If you come and see me, I've got acupuncture. So each person that you have available to seek support from is going to have their own set of tools. Yeah. And as a practitioner, I think it's really, really important 
to allow the patient to have agency and for the patient to choose what is best for them based on their values, based on their worldview. The obvious first point of call and what I recommend is going to see your GP. And that's particularly if you're experiencing pain that's impacting your daily activities. But if you don't receive the care or the tools that are right for you, then I want to reiterate that there are other parts that you can explore that may support you and are better suited to you as an individual and your worldview and your values. Yeah. I think that's such good advice because sometimes you can go down one avenue and kind of exhaust that avenue and then you feel really hopeless. Mm. And sometimes if you're kind of stuck in that mentally at the time, you just need someone to kind of tell you like a friend or someone like you to be like, hey, actually, have you tried this? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes people will come to acupuncture and they're terrified of needles. Yeah. And I'll be like, babe, have you tried supplements? Have you tried this? And then they'll say, no, I'm like, if acupuncture is really uncomfortable for you and it's causing distress, yeah. I want you to go and work with, say, a nutritionist yeah. and get diet under control. I'll prescribe you herbs and supplements. And then as a last resort, if you need to come back to me for acupuncture, you can. Yeah. Or people will often ask me, like, what's the best form of birth control? Or people ask me, what's the best period product to use? Yeah. I'm like, the best is what works for you you. and like what you want to do. So yeah, there's always different options. And I do really believe that you can go down whichever path is going to suit you as an individual. So the patient always has agency. Yeah. So you're a Chinese medicine doctor. What does Chinese medicine say about period pain? So there's a Chinese proverb that says, if there is pain, there is no free flow. If there is free flow, there is no pain. So in terms of acupuncture, we interpret this as blockages in our meridians. And the intention of acupuncture is essentially to gently move blood in order to remove any blockages that are impeding that free flow. Yeah. So when someone has period pain, it's typically seen in Chinese medicine terms as some kind of blockage. Yeah. Usually it's like stagnation in the liver channel and we see that modern living is like inherently stagnating for the liver. Like, <laughs> yeah, I always say like all the good stuff in life pisses off the liver. So it's like <laughs> alcohol, stress, too much coffee, overwork, overstudying, things like that yeah. generally like create blockages in the liver. And we can all probably relate to that. Like if you're working a lot and you're drinking lots of coffee, you kind of feel a bit bound. Yeah. And so that liver energy then starts to like stagnate. And the other thing is exposure to cold things. Ah. So yeah. So in China and many of my friends here in Australia that have Chinese heritage will often say, yeah, like growing up, I was never allowed to go swimming on my period Ah. or like no cold drinks on your period. Yeah. Another thing that causes period pain from a Chinese medicine perspective is exposure to cold. Yeah. So the theory is that we don't want cold in the uterus. Yeah. And it makes sense when you think about it because body temperature sits around 36 degrees. Yeah. And so when our blood is warm and flowing, it's at that like normal body temperature. So then when we're exposed to really cold temperatures, then in Chinese medicine, we see that as slowing down the flow of blood Ah. and causing those blockages which then cause the pain yeah 
So really, we want to be really conscious about removing cold drinks and raw food from our diets, particularly when we're bleeding. But again, this is like a very Chinese medicine thing. This is so interesting because I've just said I got my period today. Mm. I'm currently drinking an iced soy latte. I'm about to go for a swim and for dinner I'm having salad which yeah. is raw yeah it's literally the opposite I'm literally <laughs> doing all the opposites so I guess things like ice baths and stuff are not ideal yes so um, not that that's something I'm gonna do like <laughs> no thank you <laughs> look I don't my general approach to life is to be as least dogmatic as possible yeah yeah um but my my rule is that if my patients are doing ice baths they have to warm themselves up after yeah so you can do an ice bath if you're going to go into a sauna or a steam yes, room yeah. but if you're just like those videos on instagram when people are like on the beach yeah. at like 5am and they're all doing ice baths. I'm like, oh my God, that's too much cold. <laughs> How are you going to warm yourself yeah. up? But yeah. if you can, if you can warm yourself up afterwards, then yes, I can see the benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think we could literally, I was just saying, <laughs> you're off air. I think we could talk about this all day, <laughs> but obviously it's something we're going to keep exploring across the episode. So if you do have more questions about that, feel free to just DM us at any time. And we do have a spreadsheet going of questions. <laughs> So we will get to them all. But the second myth for today that Michelle is going to bust is this one I'm very interested in. So someone has sent in spotting before periods. I know it's common, but not normal. Would love to know some reasons why this happens and what can be done to reduce spotting. Sometimes it lasts for up to eight days of dark brown blood or mucus. So this is a good one because I think it's really commonly understood that spotting is normal. Yeah. Some spotting can be normal, but it's really important to differentiate between something physiological and pathological. Yeah. And in my opinion, spotting for more than say two days isn't normal. Okay. And I think it's scary that we just think that spotting is normal. Yeah. Because it could also be an indicator of something much bigger and to be perfectly honest, much more sinister going on. So we'll break down what spotting is. It's essentially vaginal bleeding that isn't a period. It's often described as either pink or brown mucus or discharge or faint bleeding. Sometimes when people wipe, they see it or sometimes they'll see it on their undies. And spotting can come at different times of the cycle. So for example, some people will experience mid-cycle bleeding, which is in response to ovulation. And most textbooks will say spotting one to two days prior to your bleed is normal. Yeah. But in my world, and I know I've said this before, your period should just arrive and leave again without that much fanfare. Yeah. So if you're spotting for more than one to two days, then I would definitely be looking into potentially something else that's going on for you. Yeah. And it also really depends on what your goals are. Yeah. Like what are your health goals? Are you trying to fall pregnant? Have you just had a baby? Are you in your postpartum period? So again, zooming out and seeing what other signs and symptoms are potentially happening at the same time as spotting is going to be really important as well. Yeah. So in Chinese medicine, spotting is often seen as a sign of deficiency and I see it pop up in cases of overwork 
burning the candle at both ends and undernourishment via food. Yeah. Or it can be a case of heat in the blood, which is what I often see at ovulation. So one of the issues that I've dealt with for a long time is spotting between periods and my GP did take it seriously and look into it, which was one of the reasons for all of the investigations. But I started the progesterone only pill like two years ago and I had spotting every single day the whole time I was on it. And my doctor was like, oh, no, that's normal. A lot of people experience spotting the whole time they're on it or, you know, for the first six weeks. And then I stopped taking that and started the marina and had spotting the entire time or like even bleeding until about three weeks ago. So that was about eight weeks. Yeah. And then finally had some relief. Yes. So what about like birth control? Yes. So some types of birth control can absolutely cause spotting. Yeah. And it depends on the birth control and it'll also depend on how you're taking birth control. So some people will just take the pill continuously and they'll never have a bleed. Yeah. So like they won't take the sugar pill. And so some people that continuously take the pill will experience spotting yeah. and that's considered like breakthrough bleeding. Mm-hmm. But then in cases like yours where people that are on the marina can sometimes experience that spotting as well. Yeah. And if the symptom of spotting, you can treat that yeah. or like look for ways to support that while staying on the marina. Okay. So I think that sometimes there's a misconception that you have to choose between Western medicine and something like a natural medicine. Yeah. And so people might think, well, I'm on the marina and that's it. And I just have to put up with this. Exactly. That's kind of what I was like thinking because other than that, I can see it helping. Yes. But I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going to have to put up with the spotting because it's helping in other areas. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Or people go the other way and think that they can only go down the natural medicine path. Yeah. And so I really encourage people to do both. Yeah. You know, if the marina is working for you for a variety of reasons, but you've got some side effects. Yeah. I would absolutely reach out to someone who may be able to support the side effects. Yes. And that's probably something that I come up against a lot in my clinical practice where people are like, I want to see the evidence. Like, where's the research that (laughs) Chinese medicine cures endometriosis? I'm like, well, it doesn't. Yeah. But I'm going to look at your symptoms. I'm going to look at the side effects that you might be experiencing. And I'm going to try to help you with those Yeah, just to get you living, you know, a better life. Yeah. You know, you're a swimmer. You don't want to be spotting all the time. No, it's very annoying. It's annoying. (laughs) And I've had patients that have spotted for like six months plus. So yeah, it's definitely, I think it's important that like, you don't have to be like team Western medicine, team natural medicine, like they can coexist. Yeah. But we are digressing. The other thing that I just wanted to bring up is I'm so glad that your GP took it seriously Yeah, because not to, you know, dramatize it, but spotting can be a red flag for an STI. It can also be a red flag for cervical cancer. So you definitely want to investigate it if you think there's potentially something more sinister going on. Yeah. And I would encourage people to book in with their GP if they are experiencing spotting like that. Another thing is if you're bleeding after sex, so some people might get spotting and then they'll also experience bleeding after sex or maybe they have really, really heavy menstrual bleeding. Yeah. Then I'd also use those as associated symptoms to look into something like fibroids. So you definitely want to zoom out, look at the whole 
whole picture. Yeah. Be aware of when in your cycle spotting is occurring and then obviously any other symptoms that might also raise some red flags to something bigger going on. Another thing I see pop up a lot in clinic when it comes to spotting is low progesterone and or thyroid considerations. So pregnancy is the ultimate stress test for the thyroid and progesterone is essential for sustaining pregnancy. And so I'm often working with my patients who are trying to conceive and if they are experiencing spotting, then that's definitely something that I would be looking to improve. Improve. And again, sometimes that is booking in with your GP and doing further testing like that seven day peak luteal progesterone test yep. and maybe checking out your thyroid as well, just to double check that there's nothing going on there that needs to be optimized. And particularly, like, as I said before, it's going to depend on what your health goals are. Yep. So if somebody is trying to fall pregnant, then we obviously want to make sure that we're crossing our T's and dotting our I's and doing all of the appropriate tests to ensure there's nothing going on that might actually be preventing you from falling pregnant. Yeah. And then, like I've already mentioned, just being aware of symptoms that might seem irrelevant or not connected, but in fact, they are part of a pattern. So if you're experiencing spotting before the period, as well as fatigue, yeah. as well as changes in your mood, then I would be looking into your luteal phase, how long it is, whether progesterone is an issue for you, and then seeking out some ways to support your cycle and improve these symptoms. Yeah. And then one last thing, if your spotting is foul smelling or a funky color, then that's a red flag and you need to go get that checked out. Okay. (laughs) Good tip. All right. So our third myth is, is it normal to have brain fog, nausea, sinus headaches and migraines for three days before your period? We were just talking about migraines on your way here. And that is something that I used to suffer from. I I mean, I've had aura migraines since I was eight, Mm. but then when I got my period, they kind of would always manifest around that time. Yeah. And migraines, if anyone suffers from them, I think are the like one of, if not the most debilitating mm-hmm. pain. It's horrific. Yeah, I kind of just always thought that it was normal and that like a lot of people, because my mum got migraines around her period and so I was yes. like, okay, well, it's a genetic thing. And then when I had Oscar, they went away. Mm. So my first baby. So for the last 10 years, I've probably only had a few migraines here and there and they're normally triggered from like smells rather than hormones. Yeah, wow, interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I find that really interesting. But, God, I feel for this person. Oh, my gosh, yeah, Sinus I feel headaches so are next level. And all of them. And that's Together. what I was – I'm assuming that they get all of them, which is – the pits, this poor person. Anyway, so these are not normal period yeah. symptoms in conjunction. You know, like your period shouldn't be this time of the month where you're getting brain fog, nausea, sinus headache, and migraines. Literally for three just days. over the head. Yeah. yeah like yeah, that's, horrible symptoms. That sucks. Yeah. So I've spoken about estrogen on and off throughout the pod and estrogen affects different systems in the body. So I think when we think of estrogen, we think that it's a female hormone. Yeah. Males have estrogen as well. And we probably think of estrogen as being singular, but there's different types of estrogen in the body. And we probably also think of estrogen as being solely associated with our reproductive 
reproductive organs. Mm. So estrogen affects different systems in the body. And one of those systems that it affects is our cognition. Yeah. Um, so brain fog before the period is definitely a thing. Yeah. And it's thought to be caused by the drop in estrogen before the period. Okay. And so I guess it's normal to feel like a little less sharp yeah. before your period. And I don't know if this happens to you. It happens to me. I get pre-period clumsiness. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll just like knock into things <laughs> a couple of days before my period. That's so funny. Yeah. And so I guess that would fall into the same kind of like category as yeah. this like drop in estrogen affecting our cognition, maybe resulting in some brain fog. So again, it's like you were always zooming out to see all of the symptoms. Mm. So if someone's getting like a little bit less sharp a couple of days out before their period, you could probably say that's kind of normal. Yeah. But if you're getting severe brain fog. Yeah. And you're also getting migraines. Yeah. And you're also getting sinus. Yeah. Like those things together, we're looking at probably something a little bit bigger and something that we could work to try to optimize and improve. So I guess it really depends on the severity. There's really limited research in this area, but there was a study that looked at cognitive performance in women with PMS Ah. and it showed that the increased severity of PMS could be associated with poorer cognitive performance. And they found, therefore, that people that have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is PMDD, may therefore experience higher levels of brain fog. Yeah. And I see this a lot in clinic. Yeah. So then this naturally led me down a rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, I'm like hooked. You know, I love a study. Yes. so. So this led me down a rabbit hole all about cognitive performance and the menstrual cycle. And I found a study that looked at memory and recall in naturally cycling women versus women on birth control. And it found that women on hormonal contraception, they alter the memory for an emotional event. Ah, And that's likely due to altering sex stress hormone interactions in memory formation. Yeah. And this is the kind of stuff that Sarah E. Hill talks about in her book, Your Brain on Birth Control. Yeah. And this understanding that estrogen affects the whole body. Yeah. Not just, you know, our ovaries. Yeah. Another way that estrogen affects the body, Mel Robbins, who's like that very famous podcast host. Yeah. She has frozen shoulder and it came on post-menopause. Really? Or I think during her perimenopause. Yeah. And because estrogen is a lubricant, right. it actually was the drop of estrogen that was causing the shoulder issues for her. Yeah. So estrogen can affect the whole body. And so having brain fog before the period, the working theory is that it could be because of the drop of hormone just before your period. Right. On the estrogen thing, sorry. Yeah. Is there a link between the estrogen and, you know, how like women experience severe baby brain, brain fog after having a baby? Is that to do with estrogen? Awesome question. And we should definitely do an episode all about how the brain changes postpartum. Yeah. But your brain literally changes postpartum and it's got a lot to do with fatty acids. Yeah. And not just 
not just hormones. Yeah, okay. but we we should definitely do yeah, an episode let's tackle on that. that in yeah, an episode, because it's definitely a thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of science behind it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, All yeah. Right. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> um, so back to this person. Nausea can also be considered a normal PMS symptom, but again, I would consider a little bit of nausea to be considered normal in isolation. But if they're experiencing nausea alongside other symptoms such as heavy bleeding, painful sex, bloating, etc., then I would be seeking some medical advice. And I want to differentiate that some slight nausea is very different from vomiting from pain. Yeah. Like the person in the first. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's individual, right? Like for me, my Achilles heel is my tummy. Yeah. (laughs) So I get car sick. I I get like, if I get a headache, I get nauseous. If I get the flu, I get nauseous. Like when I had COVID, so nauseous. Yeah. So sometimes for me, I'll, I'll feel a little bit nauseous before the period. Yeah. But not so much that I'm actually sick. Yeah. And not so much that it's impacting my daily activities. Yeah. Like you're not having to take on dance or anything no. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So again, people are going to have different experiences of these things. I want to not make people feel like left out or like they're not normal. If yeah. They're no, no, no. Of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 You just want people to be aware of what they should and shouldn't be. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then finally, the hormonal migraines are absolutely a thing. Yeah. And I would really encourage people to look for support if they're experiencing migraines that are associated with their menstrual cycle. Yeah. And then this is an area where obviously I'm an acupuncturist. And so acupuncture is the tool that I've got in my tool belt. Yeah. Um, and my patients that have hormonal migraines will time their acupuncture treatments to be prophylactic to when they would normally experience a migraine. So people that experience hormonal migraines, they can usually pinpoint when they come on. So if somebody knows that like whatever, like day 27 of their menstrual cycle is usually when they start to get their migraines, then I'll tell them to come in on day 25. And then they just, they get into that pattern. Yeah, that's so good to know. Yeah, so you can time your treatments. And it's the same if you're seeing a naturopath and you're taking supplements. Yeah. If you know that certain symptoms come on at different times, that you may well be taking different supplements for different times of the month as well. Yeah. 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 So interesting. And if you went down like a Western medicine route as well, would that be seeing like an endocrinologist or just start with your GP, obviously? Yeah. I would start with your GP and then see what they say. And then, yeah, it would probably be going to see an endocrinologist. Yeah. All right, so this is our last myth and I think very a very common one that I hear obviously from my friends and family. Is it normal to have bloating for days in the lead up to your period that makes you look pregnant? So no, yeah. you don't want severe bloating and I'm going to assume that if the bloating is so severe that they've got, you know, what appears to be a pregnant belly. Yeah. I'm going to assume there's a lot of pain involved and that sort of like tightness that people get. Yes. And so I wouldn't say that that's normal either. Yeah. If you Google the hashtag endobelly, this is very, very, very common in people that have endometriosis. And there's a lot of crossover between endometriosis and IBS. Yeah. And so I feel like a broken record, but I would be zooming out 
to see if there are any other symptoms alongside the bloating before the period that might start to turn into a little bit of a pattern. Yeah. And if you're bloating, then I would also want to know what their bowel movements are like. So if the bloating is also manifesting as constipation. Yeah. Because that will be really indicative of potentially something else going on. And then I obviously would want to know if they're bloating in the lead up to their period and then they're also experiencing period pain. Yeah. So sometimes it's hard for me when I just get like a snippet of a symptom. Yeah. Particularly as a Chinese medicine practitioner, because as Chinese medicine practitioners, we do zoom out. We look at everything. Like if you've ever had a consult with me or a Chinese (laughs) medicine practitioner, we ask so many questions Yeah, because things that seem to be disconnected can form part of a pattern. And sometimes I'll be seeing a patient for months and then they'll like just mention something. I'm like, why did you tell me? Oh my God, this unlocks everything. Yeah, literally, literally. So I would want to know if this person who is experiencing bloating, I would want to know, number one, is the bloating causing pain? Yeah. Is it impacting your normal bowel movements? Are you experiencing period pain? Yeah, there would be so many other questions that I'd want to see alongside. But essentially, a little bit of bloat would be considered normal before the period. Yeah. But you wouldn't want anything to be too extreme, too severe and impacting your daily activities. Yeah, that bloating can be so painful and it is that tight feeling like that's something that I experienced as well. Like, and obviously one of the reasons I got the endo testing because I've got photos and I can try and find them to share of like the day before my period and then the day of my period. It's It's wild. wild. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had that protruding endo belly before. Yeah. Even though I... I don't have endometriosis or I haven't had it diagnosed that it looks like a pregnant belly and it's so painful Yeah, and it's like you could put a needle in it and it would pop or something. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it's like. And on that, like just on what you were saying about asking all the questions, something that I say to like my friends and family, if they are going to see even like a psychologist Mm. or a psychiatrist, I always say like, write down all of your symptoms and like everything you can think of because often you get into, you know, see a doctor or whatever and they ask you a question you're like, you forget everything that's ever happened to you. Yeah. So I always like just write things in my notes before I'm going to go and see a specialist. Yeah. I tell the same thing to my patients and I tell the same thing to particularly my IVF patients Yeah, because you spend so much money going to a specialist. Like their consult fees are so high. Yeah. And exactly what you said, you go in there and you're just like, Hi. Like <laughs> sometimes I take Kev with me because especially when you're waiting in the public system, like I waited, I don't know, two years for an appointment mm. one time and I was like, I don't wanna I'm gonna take every second. Yeah. And I took Kev and I'm like, I've got my notes and he'd fill in the blanks and yeah. be like, Oh, don't forget you had this, you know? Yes. So taking yeah. that support person sometimes can be really good as well. Yeah, totally. I agree. Okay, so we've reached out to some of the special men in our lives and asked them some questions about like periods, what they want to know. And so the first one that came through, they've written, is there anything a partner can do to help make your periods easier? Do they need chocolate, massages, or should we remove ourselves from their vicinity? would probably say that. <laughs> I loved it. I was kind of like, mm, I think you should All like. above. <laughs> yeah, literally. Not like massage for me. No, thank you. Give me chocolate, give me a massage and then leave. And feel bad for me. Just yes. be like, that's 
shit, you poor thing. (laughs) I think this is a really cute question because um, sometimes I think people probably like do feel a little bit helpless and particularly if they're supporting somebody with endometriosis, Mm. with really heavy bleeding, like people that are experiencing really severe period symptoms, of course their partner would want to try to help make it easier for them, but sometimes they don't know. So what do you like? What do you like on your period? Um, I am not someone who likes to be touched. (laughs) So yeah, just definitely respecting my space bubble. Yeah. Coffee. Probably Uh, just like bring me coffee. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm in a lot of pain, Kev will like put on the heat pack in the microwave and bring that to me, which is really nice. So nice. Yes. Just like acknowledging that I'm in pain. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's it. yeah, Yeah. Being like, are you okay? Sorry, there's not much I can do. Yeah. It's shit that you're in pain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Although I I kind of want them to do the third thing, which is on the first day of my period, like I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. I just go into full hibernation mode. Yeah. And I'll usually hold myself up in my bedroom, put a heat pack on, yeah. watch like Netflix or something. And I just kind of veg out all day. Yeah. I don't really eat chocolate on my period. Yeah, I, think it, I don't either. Yeah. No. I think maybe on day one, I'm not super hungry. Yeah. It's like chocolate in the lead up to my period. Yeah, Absolutely. Like, yeah. like I mentioned, I'm day 22 today. So I'm like, give me all the chocolate now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I definitely appreciate alone time when I'm on my period yeah. and, and just just communicating, right? Like yeah. just saying like, do you need anything from me? Like, yes or no. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think one of the important things as well is if you're with someone and you've been with them for a long time and then been in pain for a long time, this is something that Kevin and I have dealt with because I've been in pain for like a long time. Mm. Sometimes they just get so used to you being in pain that they forget to either like ask how you're going or just like have some empathy because yeah. they're used to it. And it doesn't mean that they don't feel that way. They just might you know, forget to ask or whatever. So I think just not getting used to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normalizing that level of pain. Yes. I don't want to call it compassion fatigue because I don't think Kev is like sitting there being like, oh, I'm so over. (laughs) I'm so over her being sick. But no, it probably is is, that. It's probably just that like. Absolutely. Or it's become like your normal. It is. I think that's it. It's just become so normal that you're like. Yeah. 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 I like that question. Kev had a question as well. Yeah. Last what, night. What is it? He said, what should a guy do if they're out in public and they notice that a girl has bled onto her clothes? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was one. like, that is a good question. What did you say? I said, obviously, if it's someone that you're in a group with, yeah. you could mention it to one of their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was a girl in public, I don't know, because like you're a guy and you don't want to, sometimes it can be you might come across intimidating or inappropriate. I don't know. Like yeah. maybe offer her your jumper. I don't know. Yeah. It's tricky. What I think it do? is tricky. Yeah. I think it's definitely contextual. Like if obviously if one of my girlfriends, if yeah. I, if we were out oh, and I saw blood, it'd just yeah. be like, babe, you've got blood on you. Yeah. Um, but if it was a total stranger, I would want people to tell me. Same. Yeah. Um, and so, and depending on like the age, like I feel like this often happens to like younger people. Um, and so if I could see that they had someone with them, then maybe I'd mention it to the person that they're with. Yeah. I'd like to believe that I would feel comfortable going up and saying something in like obviously a really kind way. Yeah. But if it was me, I would want to know. Same. But then also now I'm so loud and proud about my periods. (laughs) If it was me, I'd probably just be like, "Eh, 
Well, I also <laughs> said to Kev, like, what if they're free bleeding yeah. as well? Like, it's hard to know. Yeah, totally. You know? totally. But I guess if you were, you'd be like, oh, thanks, I know. You know, I yeah. would want to know as well. Yeah. And I would think that was really nice and brave of a guy to come up and be like, hey, excuse me. Yeah. Just want to let you know. Yeah. I remember this happening in high school, yeah. like a girl having period blood on her dress and literally the guys being like, blah, blah, yeah, like, yeah. blah, has got period and like uh, making such a big deal of it. So mean. It's so mean. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't like, she wasn't a, like a, a close girlfriend of mine. And yeah. I just remember like being like, oh my God, I can't, like, it's awful. Yeah. So awful. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think I'd like to believe if it happened to me now and someone was like, you got period blood, I'd be like, cool, I'm on my period. Yeah. Like, hey, I feel like I would be like, yeah, not as loud and proud as you, but I'd be like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Like, probably yeah. wouldn't ruin my life like it would have when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah. As a teenager, you just think oh, like it's like the biggest the deal. The but yeah, yeah. maybe. I mean, there are worse things that can happen. In life, oh, so absolutely, yeah. but, oh, it's a good, it's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe if anyone has any tips or personal experience or what you mm. would like them to do, hit us yeah. up. Yeah. So we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we can't wait to bring you more educational info and amazing stories. Please follow the periodical pod on Instagram and send through any questions that you have to us in our DMs. And as we're a new pod, we would absolutely love it if you could share this episode with someone who you think might benefit from it. And if you would like to leave us a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts and please make sure you are following us so that you don't miss out on everything that we have installed for you. And this is your reminder that you are powerful and important, period. 